Can learning disorders or anxiety mimic the symptoms of ADHD? What are some ways that we can help a student with ADHD in the classroom? And besides medication, what has been scientifically proven to help a child with ADHD? These questions and more will be answered in today's episode. I'm Cindy Huffington, and this is Curious Neuron. Welcome to Curious Neuron, a podcast about child development and education with information that is backed by science. I am your host, Cindy Huffington. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education. My specialties are understanding how the brain develops and how play promotes learning. I love searching through science articles to see what I could apply with my own three kids, and I want to share this information with you. Follow Curious Neuron on Instagram to vote for the topics I'll cover and send in your questions for the experts. For more information, visit us at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. As you know, in the previous episode, we started discussing ADHD um, and students, and we focused more on understanding when it might be the right time to have a child evaluated for ADHD. Now today, um, I am going to continue my discussion with uh, Dr. Audrey Benoit. So this is part two of our conversation. And this time we're discussing um, what happens once a child has received the diagnosis of ADHD. We will discuss what happens sometimes when some other symptoms might get confused as those of ADHD. So symptoms from learning disorders or anxiety. And then we'll discuss the classroom and um, she'll provide you with information on what you could do to help a child with ADHD inside the classroom, what you can do to help them at home when you're doing homework. And lastly, we'll discuss what some options are in addition to medication that can help a child with their symptoms. So here's the second part of my interview with Dr. Audrey Benoit. Okay, so now we've discussed, you know, the recent diagnosis and I'd love to have a better understanding of what a student with ADHD would struggle with in school. You've mentioned, we, we've briefly mentioned cognition and social as well. We don't, perhaps you don't think about that often, but there are social difficulties that a child will experience, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's usually not the reason why people are consulting, <laughs> like because mm-hmm. they're having trouble with their friends. Um, and But you usually, and this is not something that we, that I've verified in the scientific literature, but in the clinic, in any case, um, often the kids who have the most difficulties socially are the ones who have a lot of hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. Mm-hmm. So um, in the school setting, a child with ADHD will have difficulty paying attention to something that's not highly engaging for long periods of time. So listening to a teacher talk about a topic, they're, no, that's not their favorite. <laughs> and mm-hmm. also uh, anything that requires a lot of like a sustained mental effort will be difficult. Um, for most kids, that includes reading, learning to read and write. Um, that's not something you're good at right away. So um, that's something. So being able to uh, focus for extended periods of time and they will also have trouble blocking distractions around them. So if this classroom is very noisy or just if there's anything going on around them in their field of vision, and they're going to have trouble blocking that and focusing on what they have to do and what's important. 
so here in Quebec, we have IEPs, and these are, um, it's a, a list that a teacher will get, I guess, for each student who has a diagnosis, and they have to mm-hmm. follow this. Can, yeah. and, and you have a role in, in all these suggestions, right, for IEPs? So Yeah, can... uh, yeah, we, we hope we do. Um, <laughs> so so IEP, IEPs is for Individualized Educational Plan. Mm-hmm. And so it's the school's decision whether they create one for a child or not, or whether they open one to modify it or not. We can recommend that they do in our reports, but it's mm-hmm. ultimately the school's decision. Um, when we make the recommendations, however, we, well, in my reports, I always include a line that says, should the school decide to open an IEP or to modify the one that's already in place, uh, they should consider our recommendations because they, we think it would greatly benefit the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we want to do because and we base it on the specific weaknesses in the attention profile because there's some heterogeneity in mm-hmm. to, in the symptoms of each child with ADHD um, so some of them don't have hyperactivity or impulsivity some uh, and their atten- not all types of attention are difficult for them sometimes mm-hmm. um so when we make the recommendations we we try to rely on what the weaknesses are what we've seen in our testing and so if a child has difficulty um like blocking off distraction that's when we're going to recommend either uh, the headphones like the sound soundproofing headphones mm-hmm. <laughs> they can wear in class to block out the noise or um, a little, uh, like, a, like a board on their desk, like a little cardboard piece on their desk to block out the visual distractions when they have to focus on their work. Yeah, that, like that trifold uh, board. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, okay. like that. Um, usually, uh, the, like the, pe- the recommendation that people know most about is the one about having a room like an isolated room for exams or extra yes. time for exams, okay? Mm-hmm. This, um, it's, I know that it's difficult sometimes for some schools to implement it because they need extra room and extra staff to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the idea behind it is, again, for like most, the most important exams on their transcripts, we really want to try to eliminate as many possible distractions. And because kids with ADHD are more easily distracted sometimes by their own thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. They sometimes they're a bit slower at completing their work because if they're distracted, distracted a third of the time they spend on their exam, they're going to require more time to finish it. So that's why we make these kinds of recommendations. It's, it's not appropriate for all the kids with ADHD though. Um, and we will it's not just because you get the diagnosis that you'll have to do this no. for your exam. Okay. No, because some of them are not slowed down. They're distracted, but they still work fast. So oh, okay. some of them won't need it. Usually the school won't leave a recommendation or some like an, accommod- an accommodation for a child if he doesn't need it, he or she doesn't okay. need it. So mm-hmm. if they can put it in place and if, they realize, oh, well, it's not really helping them or it's, they're not really using it like the extra time, they might consult the parents and say, well, we're not going to leave it on because yeah. he doesn't seem to need it. Um, so this is what we do. Uh, for the agitated kids, this is when we recommend 
the tools to allow them to move while they're sitting down. So all the fidgety toys, the elastic band on the legs of the chair mm -hmm. and the wiggling stool. So all of these things, this is to help the child who's very agitated being able to sit down for example, or any time, like well, when they're in class. Yeah. Um, another thing we recommend is, okay, like children all need sufficient amount of physical exercise. That's something that's recommended for all the children. It's especially important for children with ADHD. They really need these physical activity periods to recharge their attention. And because their attention reserves are not as big as the other kids, they get depleted faster. They need to recharge more often. We will sometimes recommend to try to avoid having them continue their work over lunchtime or over recess. Um, although this is sometimes difficult to do if we also ask that they get extra time to complete their work because where do you get that extra time? <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but really, they, they, that's the idea. It's like if you have a very agitated kid, it, you know, if, if you do have to give them more time to work over recess and lunchtime, it's not a good idea to do that every day. Yeah. Um, or like at all recess times mm. during the day. Um, and you have to keep in mind that if the child doesn't have time to go outside and play and move, um, they're going to start the next period already inattentive or already agitated. So they want to help themselves. That's like, that's one thing to keep in mind. Have cases gone up in the past uh, few years? Well, um, I don't know if you saw it, but there was, uh, like in one of, in La Presse, there was, like in Quebec, there was like a, kind of a group of pediatricians who have published an open letter saying that actually in Quebec specifically, the number of diagnoses had increased and it was much higher than in other provinces in Canada and other countries. Really? And yeah, and um, it was a very interesting letter and um, and what they were, the, the reason for that they were pointing to is, the dif is that people don't do differential diagnosis. And I, I mean, it's something that I've felt was the case for the longest time. Um, what do you mean by differential diagnosis? It means making sure that the reason they're inattentive and agitated is really ADHD and not something ah. else. Um, because that's the thing, like, learning disorders can look like ADHD because a child that has learning disorders will need a lot more attention, will need to put a lot more effort in all of his work throughout the day than other kids. Mm -hmm. And it will drain his attention or her attention a lot more. And at the end of the day, they might get inattentive, agitated, easily distracted, but it's not because they have ADHD. It's, there are other problems that are draining their attention. Mm -hmm. Same with anxiety. Anxiety can make you hypervigilant and it, make, it can make you look like you're hyperactive because you're constantly in an alert state. So anything that goes on around you, you'll pay attention to or, or be star, startled by uh, just because of heightened vigilance because mm -hmm. of anxiety. And anxiety can also lead to rumination and having a lot of worries that you have difficulty controlling even in children. So, and that draws their attention somewhere mm -hmm. else than the teacher talking to them. So a lot of, so I think that that's the thing. The best, the best way to make sure is really to have the most thorough evaluation. Um, 
how is this how's a parent supposed to know though if if you know i guess if you go see your pediatrician and you you talk mm-hmm. about your child struggling in school right. what if your pediatrician you know does you know the evaluation for adhd and they diagnose you you know diagnose your child and things yeah. move on but how should they perhaps get a second opinion is that an area where because the diagnosis is a bit more difficult that mm-hmm. the second opinion isn't that bad well, yeah, I guess second opinion or, or then um, you, that's the thing. You can try the medication, but if you see that it's not working, then that, you know, and if you go back to the doctor, they've tried several kinds of molecules and doses and it's still not mm-hmm. working. That might be a sign that that was not it. There mm-hmm. is a small percentage of children with ADHD who are non-responders to medication, but it's pretty small. Like it's, I think it's worth a second opinion or an evaluation with a psychologist or a neuropsychologist mm-hmm. um, to really make sure. Um, and with your doctor, because sometimes like in, in our system, I mean, the, the appointments are quite short and they're really to the point. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's one of the things like that parents can try to look at like his like when they talk to the teachers or when they look at homework, is the child having difficulties with spelling or reading that they shouldn't be having and that are not, and that may not be due just to inattention, just a really a problem learning it. So that mm-hmm. may be a sign to look into learning disorders also, make sure it's not that. And children who are anxious usually, um, they the some of the signs well sometimes it will be because that's also something that you can be born with like a tendency towards anxiety some children mm-hmm. like for example children who manifested a separation anxiety for a long time um as uh, as babies as babies or toddlers you know when they be, mm-hmm. it's the kind of kids that you get dropped at daycare and they, they grab onto they cry grab onto the parents and don't want to let go they don't want to go and it um, doesn't stop after like a week or two of starting daycare. right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. if it lasts for like a couple years even without changing daycares like mm-hmm. um that can be a sign that your child has a tendency a tendency towards anxiety and also the children who refuse to sleep alone uh, or some I have parents tell me like my child follows me everywhere in the house mm-hmm. and they all want to know where I am uh, children who ask a lot of what if questions like what if this happens mm-hmm. what, what will we do if this happens or have recurring worries like what if somebody breaks in the house and what if we have a car accident and sometimes children who are anxious will become very rigid they'll have um specific like rituals uh, it's kind of a way of regaining some control when they feel like they're too anxious like wanting you know supper to be at the exact same time all the time otherwise they throw a tantrum or something mm-hmm. um or having like a ritual for for like going to bed like there needs to be a story and then it needs to be this long and or the same story all the time and then three kisses and then tucked in a specific way mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing um, and are there physical symptoms maybe that might be a sign of anxiety as well yeah well the headaches and stomach aches that are unexplained by a physical illness that mm-hmm. could also be a sign of anxiety too especially if it's in the morning before going to school, then at night before, if they have an exam the next day, um, or difficulty sleeping before an exam, things like that. 
so if you have if, if that, so that's thing, these are things that are worth mentioning to your doctor if you're going for a consultation because the teacher says your child isn't attentive in class if if these things occur i think it's worth mentioning to the doctor to make sure that they know you know there's things to eliminate before okay. saying it's adhd that reminds me of a question I, I had received from a parent where the the teacher keeps mentioning that they should be evaluated because she felt that they weren't mm-hmm. attentive in the classroom they were struggling in school but then the parent felt that at home they weren't seeing any um attentive mm-hmm. problems so that disconnect i guess could be um a sign that there's something else going on perhaps right um it could be it could also be because well it depends what age the child is but um it could also be because there's a lot more rules to follow in the classroom there's a lot more distraction maybe than at home so that's mm-hmm. something to look at is the home very quiet are they an only child that you know and when they do homework it, there's absolutely no distraction and the parent is very good at making them move while they do their homework or recite their vocabulary words, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that may compensate for the symptoms. Um, while in class, if there's if it's a very noisy class or if they have to pay attention for long periods of time, which they don't have to do at home, um, it can happen that in the school setting the symptoms are more visible. Uh, okay. the other but it also could be that it's something else. Then I would wonder if, if it were a consultation, I would probably ask all the anxiety questions <laughs> to check, like, mm-hmm. is there performance anxiety? And that's why in the classroom it's not working out or maybe social anxiety. Is there like intimidation going on mm-hmm. and things like that? Um, but yeah, it's also, ha- it also happens that not everybody sees the same thing or is, is, Sometimes there are symptoms at home, but parents are very good at managing them or they're very, or it's things that really doesn't bother them or doesn't impact home life. Um, what you, what we need to look at is, um, is there a significant impact on the grades on what they're learning and, or an impact on their social activities? If the teacher okay. thinks that there is, that's a good reason to, well, first talk to their family doctor or pediatrician if they want to start with that mm-hmm. and maybe consider an evaluation eventually depending on the conversation with the family doctor. Okay. And you touched upon homework, so I mm-hmm. just want to continue that direction because that was apparent, the, the common question from parents. Uh, mm-hmm. I think whether or not they had a child with ADHD, there are a few things that yeah. parents struggle with. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think of myself when I was young, you would come back from school, you'd sit down, you don't get up from that table, that chair, until mm-hmm. you finish your homework. But I think now with what I learned myself, and, and, and maybe if it's something you suggest as well, it's it shouldn't be like that. You know, a young <laughs> child should yeah. be able to move and our attention... Or, or a child's attention span isn't as long as we think it is, right? Right. In, in general. Right. Um, yeah. So at the end of a school day, normally, especially like for the first, I, uh, up until like, I don't know, grade five, um, normally homework shouldn't be more than half an hour. Okay. That's at the end of the day, that's um, pretty much tired. how, yeah, they're, they're tired. Yeah. That's like how long they're able to focus. Anything mm-hmm. past that, you might be able to drill it into them, but they're not <laughs> going to remember the next yeah. day. <laughs> um, and, but then there's variability. Some schools, 
10. There are some schools who give mm-hmm. a, a lot more homework than others. And so mm-hmm. that's something to keep in mind. But um, also homework being done. Um, sometimes um, there's opportunity for children to start their homework at daycare, like after school daycare. And mm-hmm. um, it's really like as they need a little bit of a break, a physical activity break after the school day, but then homework shouldn't be done too late either. Like if the later you wait in the evening, the less chances you're going to have, your child is going to be attentive or receptive to it. Um, so it's, you know, if they can start homework earlier, it's always better. Um, break it down, use a time timer, uh, something like that. So you have a half an hour, we're going to do three, 10 minute, uh, like work periods and I'm going to put a timer when the timer rings after 10 minutes then we take a five minute break we throw a ball dance around and or I don't know jump around anything mm-hmm. like that to jumping move <laughs> yeah. jumping jacks I don't know <laughs> and and then we sit back down for another 10 minutes you, you can do that uh, also prioritize the homework so it, with the help of the teacher sometimes it's necessary just um, decide on what's the most important things that they need to get done Try to do as much as you can in half an hour and whatever doesn't get done just doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's, I don't know, so that's something that needs to be talked about with the teacher. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is... Motivation then. Motivation yeah. starts, you know, decreasing or even confidence if yeah. they feel that they're just not getting it done, they're not getting it right and it's long and... Right. And there's a limit of how much you can have a child redo their homework until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, they're, yes, it's a learning process. So they should, you know, if they rush through it, like they should take time to revise it, but, and you can help them out. Like, but I'm, I'm not sure that it's totally necessary that it come, that they finish and everything is absolutely perfect, especially if it takes you an hour to get mm-hmm. to that perfect answers or perfect shapes of letters um so there's there's that and um also making them move so all the things that are useful in the classroom to make them uh, do muscle contractions while they're sitting down is also useful for the homework period and you can also do motor games so let's say we're gonna you're, you're in the kitchen and you ask them like if they're older and they're learning the multiplication tables like you ask them the multiplication and they give you the answer each right answer they can jump from tile to tile kind of oh yeah something <laughs> like that yeah and then when they get to the end of the kitchen tile then they get like a little snack or a little <laughs> i love it <laughs> also like if they're walking around in the room or walking around the table while where they work mm-hmm. it's not it can be annoying to parents like our reflex will be like no sit down sit straight <laughs> feet yeah. on the feet on the ground um but i mean if they're still doing it if they're still doing their homework while they're walking there's absolutely no problem with that that's yeah, their that's way the goal. <laughs> yeah that's their way of reactivating their attention or re- mm-hmm. to refill their attention reserves um and yeah, so there's, these are usually the recommendations we have. And if they can do some homework over the weekend, if they have a lot and just keep whatever, like the bare minimum for weekdays, that's also preferable. Are there times of the day as well? Because I, I was, th- I'm thinking back to when I was in school, mm-hmm. I, I was most effective during the morning when I had to do some homework, let's say on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And by evening, my brain just didn't function the same way that it did. I, is it like this for a child who has ADHD as well? 
Right. Uh, yeah, and it varies. Some kids with ADHD, some, they, they, I've had some parents tell me like mornings don't work at all. <laughs> and some say mornings work better. It's really um, trial and error. Like okay. if you see like the evening period doesn't work or because of the, the way the schedule works in the family, it's not possible to do them early enough in the evening. It's a good idea to try in the morning before they go to school. That can also and be done. I have some parents that do it. And then you mentioned the medication being at its peak around lunchtime. So yeah. would, it, would that time, let's say on the weekend, be the best time to sit down with them and do some homework? Yeah, it's usually it starts um, like the the benefits will it's it like the action of the medication will start approximately half an hour after they take it. So okay. definitely like after you give their medication over the weekend, I'll wait at least half an hour. Uh, but yeah, midday is would probably be the peak. Although the newer medication that lasts the whole day. There isn't much of a huge peak. It's you know the way it's better. Like the release is better now, so it's more even throughout the day. But definitely, oh. like at the end of the evening, by the time like by seven or eight, seven thirty, your the medication is not going to have much of an effect, and it's good because we don't have we don't want the medication to have an impact on their sleep. No, exactly. Okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, also if if there's if the diagnosis has been well done well established and if the treatment pharmacological treatment and the accommodations in class are appropriate and like uh, optimal the child what what happens with medication is that the child should have more attention left at the end of the day to be able to do homework the child that has ADHD during the day all they're trying to do is try to focus. They all, they're always distracted. So they're, they're always bringing back their attention. They're like, Oh, I was paying, I wasn't paying attention. Okay. Go back to the teacher. Okay. I'm distracted by this. Okay. Go back to the teacher. And this is very tiring for them to mm-hmm. keep doing that. And so at the end of the day, a child with ADHD that has, doesn't have the appropriate treatment isn't going to have very little attention left for homework. So even if even if the medication is like slowly tapering off, there should be there should be more attention reserves left to do it. One of my last questions is really uh, if I have a child who's in grade one or grade two and, you know, the teachers since kindergarten have been suggesting that I, mm-hmm. my child gets evaluated and I mm-hmm. let the years pass and I, you know, I want to I want to wait it out. Mm-hmm. And then my child's in high school now and they're still yeah. struggling in school. If as a parent, if I wait it out, are there yeah. any consequences for my child? But besides, obviously, academic, social, mm-hmm. but in terms of the brain, is it going to get worse? And is it going to be more difficult to treat ADHD if if I wait long? Um, it's not going to be more difficult to treat. It's not bad for the brain. Um, actually, there's a significant percentage of children who, who have had a diagnosis of ADHD when they're young. They don't have it anymore once they're adults. In some of them, it's kind of like a maturation delay in the brain. And once the once the brain is done all its maturation, like at the beginning of adulthood, they don't meet the criteria anymore. They don't have the symptoms anymore. And their brain is identical to the brain of somebody who's never had an ADHD diagnosis. Wow. So that's and that's about 50% of them. Uh, so oh. yeah, so medication does it doesn't mean that it's gonna have to be forever. And it can remit on its own, 
um, even untreated. So as a parent, should I wait it out? Well, that's the thing. If, if really, if the, if, if the diagnosis is really there, if they really do have ADHD, necessarily it's going to impact the, it's going to have an impact academically and socially mm-hmm. and probably on home life as well. Mm-hmm. So you could wait it out, but if your child has to repeat a grade because they're failing because they're too inattentive, that's, that's going to be detrimental in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some, but that is to say that if you have a very mild ADHD and no other diagnoses, you could, and you, and you, let's say your child, the child is very smart and can compensate in a lot of other ways. And if they don't get tired doing that, um, they could do go through school without medication. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, the, nature of the diagnosis is that it needs to have an Im- a significant impact. If it doesn't have a significant impact on their performance, then it's not really ADHD. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not going to put a diagnosis. So, mm-hmm. um, so if there is really a diagnosis, normally by the time they're in high school, they're going to be struggling. I, th- I, I had spoken to a girl who was in secondary th- two or three at the time and she said she had been struggling with attention and you know mm-hmm. school her entire life and right. she, her parents finally decided to um, uh, have her evaluated and then medicated uh, for mm-hmm. ADHD she said that she really wished she would have been um, received this medication much earlier on because at this point she just her confidence had been crushed I guess because every year was a struggle every you know math had been a struggle and her working memory and and Mm -hmm. motivation was gone to to study in school and but now she had felt a difference sitting in class seeing that with the medication she was able to focus a bit more but Mm -hmm. then the other things were impacted more her her, you know her motivation and and, and confidence so I guess we have to think about that as parents too and that's the that's the yeah that's that's the risk you're taking mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. like it killing the motivation mm-hmm. and or creating secondary anxiety or just that wasn't there in the first place but that mm-hmm. was caused by the fact by having ADHD untreated for so long mm-hmm. um it is definitely possible to diagnose children so technically you for an ADHD diagnosis the symptoms have to have been present before age 12 it's not something, so like I said before, you're born with it. So um, it's not something that will appear out of nowhere later mm-hmm. on. Um, so th- when children get older, high school is still, you can still diagnose with decent amount of certainty. Um, but the older people get, the harder it is to do the differential diagnosis because it is much easier in the younger children in elementary school age children to separate like what started first was it the anxiety or the inattention and to eliminate sleeping difficulties um like uh, or just poor nutrition mm-hmm. lack of physical activity like and also just personality factors as you get mm-hmm. older these get very entangled and it's a lot it's more difficult to separate and I think to end off, are there things mm-hmm. that we haven't covered that you would like to, to mention? Right. Um, we, yeah, we did talk about medication. We didn't talk about the other things. <laughs> okay. So, yes, 
there are there aren't that many other options for people who really don't want to give medication to a child that's been diagnosed with ADHD or properly diagnosed um, that have been like scientifically proven where the scientific evidence is very solid um, mm -hmm. like physical activity is like is one of the things that just works really well <laughs> and okay. that's one that's been shown to work well in the scientific literature Mm -hmm. um, the other things, there's been some evidence that omega-3 supplements improve attention, although oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the effect sizes are, are quite small. They're statistically significant in large groups of people, but it, like, it's not a huge effect. Like, it's not going to be night and day. But okay. that's something that parents can do to kind of, you know. They could explore that, you know, and try fish oil just to see, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not going to yeah. have, like, major impacts, but, you know, mm -hmm. put all the chances on your side kind of thing. <laughs> um, um, then there's um, also, yeah, there's a bit of um, that cognitive training. Um, this it's it's kind of difficult to implement it's not available in hospitals or clinic um but it does show that for some kids um it does help this is where you kind of train attention and control like a like to control impulsivity through mm -hmm. some computer training coupled with a teaching of strategies of like a compensatory strategies so that also works, but it's, it's not very widely available. Um, okay. there's also another thing that has been shown though, and that works for like older, like maybe high school age and older people is, um, mindfulness. Um, mm -hmm. so the, how mindfulness can help ADHD is by training to recenter attention. It's pretty much like training to uh, refocus your attention on the present moment. Um, and that's showing quite a bit of promise. Mm -hmm. um, there are some books on mindfulness for children that are available too, that can work. Uh, other than that, there's also neurofeedback who is an, well, it's an approved method for treating ADHD. So neurofeedback works with putting electrodes on the children's scalp and having them uh, do uh, some attention exercise on the computer and the the idea is for them to see their brain waves at the same time and try to get them to learn to consciously increase the amount of time they spend in the optimal attentional state um, it has it has so, there are some studies that have shown that it works well but um, we, I did have some training or like I've been to conferences and I had found that the science behind it was not that solid. Um, although there are more studies coming out now, so there it, mm -hmm. it might come, it might come to light later on that it's very effective. The problem is um, a lot of them don't have proper control groups. Also these uh, treatments tend to be fairly expensive. Um, there's yes. definitely, and I mean, it's kind of like a what we say in the clinic is, well, you might as well take that money and go on a very long vacation with your family or register them <laughs> to like hockey or something. And that's probably going to have 
a good impact on their attention and on their mm. parent-children um, relationship and that's in turn going to help mm. attention so Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's something that is available that there are a few private okay. clinics that do neurofeedback and i mean for all these methods it's it's the same thing as medication right where it's not one one fits all right in, in the sense that well I, I guess for exercise it might be different mm-hmm. but you know somebody might try fish oil and say hey it worked for right. my child but it might not work for another that's child. that's true um so i guess i mean it's good to to try things out but to see you know, to, to, to know that it might not you know, necessarily work for your child. That's right. Yeah. And if, for, for exercise, is there, have you seen like a certain recommendation in terms of the amount of exercise? Um, I don't think there is like a, like a magic number of how many just, minutes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just gen- general, yeah, in I guess. general, it's just, it's something to keep in mind, you know, like if you have a child, if you can, that, that's something you have this balance to keep in mind. Right. So you, it's okay. It's okay to do homework, but usually keep it down to 30 minutes when they're in elementary school. And that should allow you to have more time for physical activities, but it's something to Mm -hmm. think about. Like if, because there are days that are worse than others in all children and in children with ADHD as well. And that's the thing. Like if you're trying to sit down and do homework and it's really not working, that's something to ask yourself, like, has my child gotten any physical exercise today? Like, how much of it? So it's something that's, and it's something that's good to include in the routine, everybody's routine to have, like, we don't want them to do sports, like, 24-7, but, and it doesn't have to be, like, organized sports, like, it could be go play in the par- at the park, or, or just, and it could be, like, a cool moment between parent and child to go play something with them, like, kick a ball, or, like, throw baseball, something like that. I've read a bit about um, CBT, so cognitive behavioral training. Is that more recommended for adults mm-hmm. or is that something that a child could have as well? It, it's possible for children starting at 10 or 11, okay. uh, like older children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but for adolescents and adults, that's definitely an option, uh, a good option with a psychologist that uses the cognitive behavioral approach. Mm-hmm. For children... Um, yeah, they have to have good reasoning abilities and self-observation abilities. These tend to develop a little bit later. So they're actually, that's when um, like a psychoeducator or a specialized education teacher mm-hmm. could come in. These could, they can teach children like some techniques to either better notice when they get angry or when they're about to or when they get overexcited and to kind of remove themselves from a situation Mm -hmm. and things like that so we can enlist sometimes we do recommend some meetings with the school's psychoeducator or specialized education teacher Mm -hmm. for these reasons Um, and like we mentioned earlier like the reason for consultation is rarely social difficulties but when they do happen that's usually what we recommend is a follow-up with a psychoeducator and and what we've seen in the research which was interesting was that it's not a it's not that children with ADHD have difficulty developing social skills is that they're very inconsistent at applying them which means that uh, probably that that's going to have an impact on my recommendation. So psychoeducator is good, but it's more efficient in vivo. So 
when the psychoeducator is in the classroom or in recess with the children that can model good behavior, good social skills with the children while they're in social situations rather than alone in an office and teaching them. Yeah, and also like if you do, we also sometimes recommend that for young children who have anxiety symptoms, sometimes psychoeducator can do some work with them because mm -hmm. in any case with young children, you're not going to do very abstract work in psychotherapy with them. Mm -hmm. It's very going to be very concrete. And um, so they can do some work on that. And if at some point they've used all their tools, but there's still a, a lot of anxiety, a lot of behavioral problem, that's when they will usually refer to a child psychologist. And I, I think it's really important that you f you finished off also with the social part because like we don't talk about the social aspect when we're talking about ADHD and no. the social aspect. I mean, if you think of a child, you know, being in elementary school, wanting to make friends, wanting to play with friends, mm -hmm. um, that's a huge part of their life. And if they're struggling with this, and like you said, not yeah. just be it's not because they don't have the skills, but they're not implementing them then mm -hmm. having that assistance can make a big difference in their lives as well. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. Um, and but you have also the, the children with ADHD who are like very well liked because they're creative, they're like <laughs> outgoing and very active. And some kids are attracted to that. Mm -hmm. But some others where, where it's more difficult. Um, but that's the thing. Like usually if treatment is... is is optimal and if the accommodations in school are are really consistently put in place and they're appropriate um like a child with adhd shouldn't be ostracized by other children like if the treatment works well that's mm -hmm. the thing if if it's still impacting their social life that's that means that the treatment is not working as well ah. as it should And I had read an article that suggested in, in the classroom setting that a child who has ADHD should be in small groups, like six and under, because um, mm -hmm. that was the most effective to help them learn because they're not in their own. So they're not, you know, losing focus as quickly because they're with other kids. But then in mm -hmm. bigger groups, they might lose focus again because there's so many. So there's like that sweet number of like six and under in terms right. of groups. But then I spoke to some teachers because I, I, I posted this on Instagram and then I, mm -hmm. I I got an email from a teacher who said that, you know, she she understood this because, yes, th she noticed that the child with ADHD worked a lot better this way. But on the other end, the students in these small groups uh, were resistant to have a child who had ADHD in their group because mm -hmm. they knew their behavior would probably get the whole group in trouble. Just I can't imagine how difficult it could be in term in this situation. Right. Um, I know it's, I think it's difficult for the teacher, but um, mm. I was thinking about that uh, before we, we started talking today. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the thing, though. Like if 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 it's treated well, it sh that shouldn't happen. Like if it's still like a significant problem that they're being excluded, mm -hmm. um, you know, that means there's still a functional impact that shouldn't be there. Um, but that being in in small groups, the, the small group idea is really it's a good idea. Like I think like the, just small, less kids, less noisy. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That and the the teacher has more time for each kid also. So there's a lot of of things like that that are beneficial for children with ADHD mm -hmm. in a small group. 
I think that's a great place to end. I, I, I think we could speak a couple hours about this, but yes. <laughs> it, thank you so much for taking your time to speak with me today. And I'm pretty sure that we'll be talking again at some point because there'll be the follow-up mm-hmm. questions to this podcast episode and then we'll have a second. That's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm yeah. like, this is probably going to generate even more yeah, questions. I think so. But that's thank- fine. We'll answer those too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time. My pleasure. Take it was care. fun. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Come follow us on Instagram so that next time you can vote for the topic that we'll cover for a podcast episode. And you can even send in your questions for our specialists. Visit our website to get more information and some resources associated with this episode. And to get more articles on child development and education that are always backed by research. Until next time, stay curious! Stay curious!